Pastor Xavier Reese explains the difference between the needs of society and a society in need. Listen, people work like dogs to get ahead, buy a house, get a boat, get three cars, get whatever it is, but they never invest in their spiritual care. There's something radically going on today, and I believe the book of Isaiah parallels our day-to-day for those who call themselves the people of God. We need to give heed to what God is saying. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Pastor Xavier, you're seeing a lot of similarities between our society and that of the Israelites of Isaiah's time. And today, you find that in a very telling vision of the prophet. Yes, the day that we live in is the apex of relativism. Everybody is living their lives out by their own standard. There's a lot of justification. There's a lot of excuses that go on. And we know that in the days of Isaiah, they call good evil and evil good. That's the same thing that's going on today. People don't want to live the life of Christ. People want to live their own lives, yet be called Christians. That's a very difficult thing. Certainly, we don't want to preach legalism, but we do need to hold the standard of Christ very, very clear. And uh, it's up to them to obey individually. It's up to me to live my life out as I trust the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit to transform me. And maybe that's a better uh, perspective. People refuse to be transformed today. They want to remain the same. You cannot. If you're a Christian, you must demand transformation of your life. If you don't, I don't know what it is that you base your Christianity on. And so Isaiah is going to be, he's going to take us to the woodshed, as old J. Vernon McGee used to say. So buckle up and uh, let's see what he has for us. By the way, don't forget to write to us. Letters, email, we'd love to hear from you to see if God is using these programs. The only way we can measure this. Lord bless you. Yes, your correspondence really is the best confirmation that our broadcast ministry is meeting needs. So won't you take a moment to jot down a brief comment? Write us at Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or shoot us an email to simpletruths at ccpas.com. That's simpletruths at ccpas.com. And I'll be repeating all that after the message. But please get in touch soon. For now, let's get right to the teaching for today, beginning in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 20. The message is entitled, Heavenly Justice, a Love Trial. Isaiah the prophet is going to let us see and hear the courtroom session in heaven. As God presents his indictment, calls his witnesses, and presents the evidence through the vision he receives. Three things are clear when God judges. Never forget it. One, no one is allowed to escape their guilt. No one's allowed to escape their guilt. Secondly, no one is excused from their accountability. And thirdly, no one will ever be punished being innocent. That makes me rest in God. The courtroom scene that exposes the guilt of God's people is marked by a threefold movement, and it's found in these first 20 verses. Let me read the passage so you get familiar with it, and then we'll move through it. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. 
Hear, O heavens, and hear, give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your city is burned with fire. Strangers devour your land and your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city, unless... The Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant. We would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me... Who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifice. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doing from before your, my eyes. Cleanse, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and open, obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The courtroom scene that exposes the guilt of God's people is marked by a threefold movement. First, we have the indictment of their guilt in verse 1 through 9. Secondly, the argument to prove their guilt in verse 10 through 15. And then the arrangement to remove their guilt in verses 16 to 20. The indictment of their guilt comes first. Notice first in verse 1, the character of the court scene is marked by the fact that it was a vision from God to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was God's prophet who had been called by God to speak to a spiritually deaf and blind people who would not hear. Chapter 6, verse 10 tells us that. Isaiah's name means Jehovah's salvation. He was to be personify his very message to the people of God. Notice Isaiah saw a vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Mark that well. This is where he spent his time. The southern kingdom. Judah and Benjamin. Jerusalem. Notice the word vision. It is a technical term for the, that is used frequently for divine revelation by God to man. It's found in Numbers and Jeremiah and Obadiah, Nahum. Most of those prophetic books begin in the first verse, in the vision of, in the vision of. 
Now, a vision is when a person is awake, and they either they're in a trance-like or not, in contrast to a dream, when God gives some, some direction to be seen as you're asleep. Both of those are seen through Scripture. The message was from, for the southern kingdom, as I said, Judah and Benjamin specifically. So it's important as you go through Isaiah that you keep that in mind. The focus of Isaiah is Jerusalem. This is where he spent his entire ministry. The prophet of God was also called a seer. 1 Samuel 9, 9, Samuel was called a seer. The implication being he could see the things of God and communicate them to the people. But a prophet, his primary function was to speak forth the word of God, not to reveal future things. That's for both Old and New Testament. And the prophet was called out when the priesthood had become corrupt. The prophet was for calling God's people back to a relationship. Now notice, secondly, here the character of the witness is qualified by virtue of the fact that they are part of God's creation. Here's the witnesses. The indictment is given. Verse 2 and 3, the witnesses. The first witness called in verse 2 was heavens and the earth to give ear, for the Lord had spoken. Men were not listening. Israel was not listening. God calls nature. Moses himself said in Deuteronomy 32, 1, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you, and I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Deuteronomy 30, 19 also. So God calls heaven, the heavens and the earth as the original witness of the original covenant, making Israel accountable at Deuteronomy 32.1. Heaven, earth, stand on God's behalf as his witnesses. The implication being that his people have failed in their own witness or even to hear the witness of God any longer. God is still speaking today in the church, but many people are not listening. Please don't turn your deaf ear to the messages of Isaiah. Listen, God is speaking direct to us today, the church. We're in the very same position. Now notice the charges that God brings forth are those against the love of a father. In verse 2, he says, He nourished and he brought up children, and they rebel and transgress against him. Though he provided for them, cared for them, protected them, all the way to adult age, they rebelled and apostatized and dishonored him. There's nothing more of a heartache for a parent than this to happen. God is a real person. He has feelings, emotions, yet he's not carried away by them. But he expresses them often. Their conduct was unnatural and had caused the emotional hurt and separation between the two. Notice the second witness call were two of God's creatures in verse 3. The oxen knows its owner, one of the most dumbest beasts of burden, had more discernment to recognize its owner than the people of God. The donkey, another one of God's beasts of burden that are not particularly known for their brilliance, yet it recognizes master's crib or his feeding trough. You see, the people of God are rebuked by these beasts of burden and their lack of recognition in the sermon of their God. Literally, no understanding towards their Lord and Master. Even Balaam's jackass rebuked the prophet. The donkey more sensitive to God than the prophet himself. The charges that God brings forth 
or their lack of trust and obedience to their creator, which these beasts were yielding. Notice thirdly in verse 4 and 9, the character of Isaiah is evident by virtue of his lamentation. Due to the fact that he was one of God's children, they were his people, Israel, and he was hurting for them. He was not smacking his lips and saying, get them, God. He was brokenhearted for them. That is a good picture of all of us, for those who are lost, our friends, our loved ones, those who have backslidden, those who have gone out back in the world. Notice verse 4, the particular sins of the nation, the people laden with iniquity, brood of evildoers. They carried on their persons a heavy load of sin. So he compares them, these beasts of burden, the ox, the donkey, you're like them, but you carry big loads of sin. Here you're in your little thing and that, and still you still come and ask me. God, show me your will. Seed of evildoers, literally sperm of perversity. Then he calls them children who are corrupt. They have forsaken the Lord, corrupt doers and corrupters of others, literally. They treated God with contempt and estrangement. These were the people of God. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards. They have added insult to ingratitude. They have apostatized from the truth, turning their backs on God. God is holy. The vision of Isaiah chapter 6, I hope you've read it. Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. God is holy. This is the preface. This is the prologue. This message here that we're looking at, it sets the whole stage for the entire book. It's a trial. The evidence is presented. The people are called up, and sentence is weighed. The term expresses character and nature. The heavens are not pure in his sight. Habakkuk says he cannot look upon iniquity with condolence or permission. If you're in sin and you think God is winking at your sin, you're deceived. Because God hasn't gotten you, don't think that he's indifferent to your lifestyle. He's got eternity, how much time you have. Be patient. He'll get to you. He always does. This is the very reason he has called them into judgment. Now notice the spiritually ill condition of the nation is given to us in verse 6, 5 and 6. The rational question of the prophet is, why should you be stricken again? The text implies being there no more room left on the body. In other words, God has chased them so much. He personifies them as, as the nation, as a body, and as they were scourged 39 stripes, not 40, lest they be humbled too much. He says, there's no more room for me to beat you. You're all bruised and battered. Ezekiel says, for why should you die? Ezekiel 18, 31. This is God speaking. The conclusion of the prophet is that they will continue to revolt more and more. The reason being that the whole head is sick, the whole heart faints. Their understanding is void of God's truth. Their will and emotions have destroyed them. Their entire body from head to toe is sick, having no soundness in it. And their wounds and bruises and sores are full of pus due to the fact that they have not been bound or clothed or soothed with ointment of medication. They haven't tended to their spiritual well-being. Listen, people work like dogs to get ahead, buy a house, get a boat, get three cars, get whatever it is. But they never invest in their spiritual care. 
There's something radically going on today, and I believe the book of Isaiah parallels our day-to-day for those who call themselves the people of God. We need to give heed to what God is saying. The physical ruin of the nation as a result of this is given in 7 and 8. The country is desolate. The cities burn. Strangers devour their land before them, all by strangers. In verse 8, the people's defenses are weak as temporary shelters in the vineyards and the huts of the cucumber gardens. These were just temporary things. Meanwhile, the harvest and that, they weren't intended to defend them against an army. And he identifies a nation like this. You can't defend yourself against anybody. You're weak. The devastation had been brought about by Sennacherib, the Assyrian. In some archaeological finds, he declares, quote, Himself I made a prisoner in Jerusalem like a bird in a cage, speaking of Hezekiah. And inscribed there, it says, King of the Universe, referring to Sennacherib. He took 200,000 prisoners, but not to Assyria, but over to Babylon to replace the 208,000 prisoners he once took from there. This would be the practice that he would do in Samaria in 722, even as he would take the Jews of Samaria, the northern kingdom, take them over and transpopulate them and bring people over to Samaria, and that's where you get the Samaritans. This was a tactic of the Assyrians all the time, to demoralize, to weaken, and to reduce any attempt of rebellion. You take people away from their loved ones, their homeland, you put them somewhere else, they get depressed, they have no identity, no culture, and you break them. It works. Notice verse 9, the mercy of God over the nation. The prophet declares that it was God's restraint over Sennacherib, not his own, that left them a remnant. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. The Lord of hosts refers to the captain of the armies of heaven. Every time you come across that phrase, God has never lost a battle or a war. He is mighty. It's a favorite verse in Isaiah and throughout the Old Testament. The Lord of hosts. Read uh, Amos. He calls the people of the north. Turn, turn. I did this. You didn't repent. I did this. You didn't repent. I I held rain. You didn't repent. I, I, I rained over here. You went and got water. Now, prepare to meet your God, the Lord of hosts. Whoa, what a scary thought. This phrase appears often in Isaiah. And all that God is talking about is according to what he laid in the law. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, you might read later on. It speaks about the blessings and cursings. If you do this, I'll bless you. If you do this, I'll get you. Listen, God can't lie. He gives us the provision. I said before you, life and death, choose you this day. Which is it going to be? Mercy is less than we deserve. This was mercy. They deserve to be destroyed. God was merciful. Justice is what we deserve. Anybody here for justice from God? I want mercy. I want grace. On America's dumbest criminals, there was a bank robber who went into the bank and he handed a note to the teller. He says, give me all your money. I've got a gun. She gave him the money, quickly exited the bank. Not too long after, the police drove over his house and picked him up. The note on which he had handed the teller was the back of his deposit sleep. (laughs) Isn't this the same foolishness of Israel attempting to hide their sin from God when he knew exactly where they live and what they were doing? 
How classic. The scriptures tell us that there is nothing that escapes God. Hebrews 4.13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. We look here, we look there, we get into a dark room, we, we make sure nobody follows us. God sees it all. The entire universe is subject to God. The planets, the stars, everything. We set our clocks by them. Listen to Psalm 19, 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament show His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night they reveal knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout the whole earth. And their word is like from one end of the world. In them He has set a tabernacle in the sun, which is like the bridegroom coming out of this chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. From creation, from conscience, from history, Paul says in Romans, we are without excuse. Man is busted. The moral and ethical protest of man in every age, in every society, is a constant witness against the degeneracy and perversion of man. All you have to do is read the catalog there in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. All the things that man gets into. In fact, Paul the Apostle tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, traitors, Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such people turn away. People, let me suggest to you that we are such a generation. This was the indictment of their guilt that has been presented. He moves to the argument to prove their guilt as any good trial lawyer. Notice first in verse 10, the argument begins by addressing the guilty. He that addresses the guilty is the plaintiff, God. The offense of sin is always first and foremost against God. Psalm 51, David says, against you and only you have I sinned. That's when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and murder of Uriah. Sin is directly against God first and foremost. And then the offense of sin is always with or against man. That's secondary. Notice he calls the rulers to hear the word of the Lord. Literally the judges were the ones held more responsible for the rebellion against God. Why? Because they had the law. They were to set the standard. They were to bring the consequence. They were to hold the standard high. God helped the leader, the preacher, the teacher who compromises with God's word. God will get him worse than the person who is just a normal believer. To those that much is given, much is required. The rulers are addressed as you, rulers of Sodom, those who hate and oppose God, both in word and in deed. He calls the people to hear the word of the Lord also. The people are accountable to God ultimately, not to the leaders, though they are accountable to the leaders. The people can't justify themselves. They have an individual responsibility. The people are addressed as you, people of Gomorrah. There's the completion. You were partners with the leaders by choice. No one is forced to sin. You're tempted, but you make the choice to yield or not. I make that choice. No one forces me to sin. 
It's a personal choice that I committed. Pastor Xavier Reese, with a sobering reminder that God doesn't wink at the sin of his people now any more than he did during the time of the prophet Isaiah. But more on God's grace next time for the conclusion of this message. And if you'd like your own copy of today's study, Heavenly Justice, A Love Trial, it's available for only $4. We can send you a copy on CD. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Heavenly Justice, A Love Trial, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And any emails of encouragement to Pastor Xavier would be appreciated to simpletruths at ccpas.com. That's simpletruths at ccpas.com. And it's helpful when you include the call letters of this station, however you choose to contact us. Join us next time as Pastor Xavier Reese not only delivers God's verdict to the guilty, but the terms of his loving pardon to the forgiven. That's next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com